Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. everybody. I am super excited for today's guest, but I want to first tell you that today's show is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Whether it's leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works is a full-service plumbing solution. No matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W, wrxplumbing.com and remember if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night no problem new works will be there with their 24 7 service again that's newworksplumbing.com n-e-w-w-r-x-plumbing.com my guest today is one of the most uh, well-known versatile incredible voices that our country has when it comes to watching live sporting events you see him on cbs sports with charles davis in the nfl he's the tv voice of the brooklyn nets he's on tnt he does westwood one nfl football it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back to the podcast ian eagle how are you ian hey grant great to talk to you it is great to talk to you uh, a couple of weeks ago I had one of your colleagues on, a man you know very well, Chris Carino, and his story was absolutely amazing. The response that I received from having him on was just incredible. I say Chris Carino, you say what, Ian? I say uh, an inspiration more than anything else, but uh, a friend. Uh, He's he's a true friend. I've known him 28 years of my life. I got the, the net job in 1994 on the radio, and he was the studio coordinator at that point, fresh out of Fordham and trying to work his way through the business, doing a lot of behind the scenes, hoping and waiting for an opportunity to get on the air. And eventually it happened with the Nets. Bob Papa was the play-by-play voice of the Nets on radio a few years after me. And Bob had some conflicts doing giant games and uh, a variety of other assignments. And Chris got the call to step in and do the game as a backup play-by-play announcer and stood out from the very beginning with his description and his abilities and his talent. But all of that time while getting to know Chris, that also meant getting to know what he was going through. And for many, many years, uh, he was very private about it. And I respected that privacy, but I could see uh, how how much of a toll it took on him on a daily basis, physically. 
And eventually, uh, he and his wife made the decision to make it public and try to help and try to inspire and try to uh, find a cure. Uh, so to make that kind of jump, and I remember the conversation that I had with him, uh, I just knew that was not his personality. His personality was to deal with things on his own and be strong. And what he didn't know is the outpouring of love and support that was going to take place. So I think if you talk to him about it, which you did, and uh, you know, Chris is a really bright guy and insightful man, I, I think it's changed this whole perspective of the world. <laughs> that's, sure. that, that's the wild part, Grant, is that it's not just a you thing at that point. It's an us thing. And he realized that, that people do care and there is good in the world, uh, he just needed to, to take that that step mentally to allow people into his life in that manner. His perseverance is incredible, and he's very proud, as you well known. Uh, and we talked about his traveling and how difficult it is. You see it firsthand when you all travel together for the Brooklyn yep. Nets, but that has to be some undertaking. Yeah, and Grant, what what I felt through the years, because you're in it on a daily basis, you see things and notice things, but it's for those on the outside, when you start telling them, people around the league would ask, hey, how's Chris doing? How's it going? And then as you started to detail it, you realize that, oh my goodness, we're used to it. We're accustomed to it. For those on the outside looking in, they they couldn't even wrap their brain around it. What it takes to get him on the plane, to get him on the bus, to get him to his room. You know, this this is a huge undertaking. And I know Tim Capstraw's name came up in conversation. Tim has been just phenomenal in their partnership and his humanity in doing whatever he can to, to make Chris's life easier in some way. But, uh, I, I saw the unfortunate uh, devolvement of what took place, and it went from Chris trying to do it on his own, getting up the stairs on his own, to eventually needing help, to eventually needing to be carried, to eventually being in a motorized chair. You know, all of these things took place over the course of him doing his job. Mm-hmm. At an exceptionally high level, as, as you know, Grant, there, there is a performance aspect to the job where you got to show up and be on your A game and nobody cares what else is happening in your life. It's not of interest to them in that moment. The only thing that's of interest is the game and the details of the game. So to be able to compartmentalize the way that he did and the way that he has and continues to do is uh, nothing short of amazing. We also talked a lot about going to Fordham. We had some fun, you know, with Fordham versus Syracuse because we talked about all of the, <laughs> all of the grads from Fordham that are doing the New York sports, and we talked about uh, his uh, incredible experience with the legendary late Marty Glickman, and I was fascinated yeah. by that because I grew up listening to Marty. You went to Syracuse, and I'm very curious about this because we hear about Syracuse as, you know, arguably the top broadcasting destination in the country for aspiring broadcasters. What is it about the curriculum? What was that experience like going to a school like Syracuse for the field that you were getting into? So I graduated high school in 1986, and at that point, 
the reason I went to Syracuse was because of Marty Glickman, Marv Albert, Len Berman, Bob Costas. Those names, Dick Stockton as well, those names just echoed through the hallways at Newhouse, uh, which is the communication school, and the idea of being a sports broadcaster was at, at the top of mind for me from the age of nine on. I knew what I wanted to do. So when I started researching schools, Syracuse kept popping up, kept popping up, kept popping up. And then with the advent of the Big East, it, it just nailed it for me. The idea of being at the Carrier Dome and 30,000 people watching those games on CBS in the early Big East days, Pearl Washington tossing the ball in from half court and uh, a throng of Syracuse supporters there to greet him in the middle of the floor after winning a a big game. Uh, That was it. Uh, So I get there and I don't even know much about the curriculum. I visited and I went through what, what every young aspiring college student goes through in terms of the research. But until you're there, you don't quite know. And then I realized that it is partly the curriculum, but it is the competition. And it is the students that are there that have an aptitude for this and an interest in this. And everybody that is geared towards trying to pursue this career. And that pushes you and makes you better Mm -hmm. and forces you to really uh, buckle in and buckle up for for a four years that you've got to get as much out of it as you possibly can. So for me, looking back on it, it was uh, it was improvement by osmosis and by application, doing it, making mistakes, getting reps, doing play-by-play, waking up early, doing sportscasts, meeting people, connecting. Mike Tirico mm-hmm. was few years in front of me and was a huge influence on me. Met him at a high school football game in Syracuse, hit it off. We were both from Queens in New York and eventually interned for him and uh, became a right-hand man in many ways on the television side when he was anchoring locally and then uh, a radio show that he started with me as the producer and then uh, eventually filling in for him at a professional station. That was my senior year of of college and maintaining a relationship through the years. And little did I know, I knew he was exceptionally talented, mm-hmm. but little did I know it was going to be the, the prime time Olympic host wow. at that moment. Although anybody that worked with him knew that he was destined for big things. But think about that. Now I had three years of just being around him, watching him work, talking to him and discussing how he was going to cover a story or put together a sportscast or how he was going to phrase something. So that just became this, this whole secondary part of, of my life at Syracuse. So I look back on it, it was a combination of so many things. Fordham clearly has attracted a lot of talented people and they continue to pump out really outstanding broadcasters. And you mentioned Marty Glickman. He, he was a connecting point for both Syracuse and Fordham in that he went to Syracuse and had a long love affair with the university. And then at Fordham, he became a coach, yeah. which he loved to do. And when I ended up getting the TV job, my, my second year with that, so I did radio for a year. I got the TV job. 
the next year, Marty Glickman was the broadcast coach at Sports Channel wow. in New York, which wow. meant I get a chance to go meet him for lunch. He assesses my tape and uh, away we go. And let me tell you, it was humbling. Uh, the lunch was great. Just him telling stories. We, we had uh, an Italian lunch near his apartment. Then we go to his apartment. He's got a yellow legal pad and I'm looking at it. It's filled with notes. And I realized, Oh, those are all notes that <laughs> are going to critique me as we start the tape. And he just goes at it. And I walked out of there. I remember, you know, I'm young at the time. I'm 25 years old. I walk out of there. I'm going to head back to New Jersey afterwards. And I'm walking to my car thinking, I, I may need to become a dentist. Like, this may not be, this may not be the career right. for me. Because <laughs> he went beautiful. through it with a fine tooth comb. And uh, look, a, a lot of his stuff was very relevant and helpful and things that I adjusted. The funny part, Grant, uh, a few years after that, I, I ended up getting the CBS job and they had an event at the Lubin House in New York, which is uh, a, a New York City uh, meeting spot for, for Syracuse grads. And uh, it's been been there for, for many, many years. And Dave Pash, excellent mm. broadcaster, yes. was being named the voice of the Orange. And on hand to celebrate this was Mike Tirico, Sean McDonough, and wow. Marv Albert, and Len Berman, and Andy Musser, and mm. Hank Greenwald. Wow. And Marty Glickman. So this is the first time that I've seen Marty, because Marty left that role at Sports Channel after that season. So this is now yeah, probably four years after the fact. And we're walking through the hall of Lubenhaus, And now he's walking towards me. It's just me and him in the corridor. And we make eye contact and he nods. And I'm working at CBS now a couple of years. And... What I'm expecting to hear from Marty at that point, Grant, is, hey, congratulations. I've been you know, watching you. You're doing great. So I get the first half. He says, Ian, I've been watching you. <laughs> and I now lean in to hear the next part of what he's going to say. He says, lay off the mail. You're getting jowly. <laughs> oh my god and that was it and he just kept walking <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing oh my gosh maybe, maybe dental school is, is a good option again i'm still young oh, that's beautiful i know my problem now after listening to you i went to bowling green and my curriculum consisted of 3.2 low-grade beer and frat parties <laughs> No, really, you know, in Ohio, when I went to college in Bowling Green, if you were not 21, when you went to a bar, and we used to go to this bar called the Broadhouse all the time, then all the hockey players who I did all the hockey games there used to hang out, and you would get a stamp if you were not 21 and you could only drink 3.2 beer. It was a very low-grade beer, and I remember the stamp that they put on the top of our hand was multicolored, and at the end of the weekend, the top of my hand looked like a New York City subway map, you know? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, so uh, now I know my problem but you know i always tell young aspiring broadcasters and i'm sure you do the same people always ask me you know what what should i do what should i do and i always talk about reps i go you know turn the volume down on the tv blah 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 when you and i and obviously i'm older than you but we still grew up without cell phones uh the capabilities of the internet we didn't have the ability to listen to chick kern do the lakers or bill king do the warriors growing up in new york so 
I always tell young aspiring broadcasters, hey, listen to as many people as you can, which you can do now, but get reps. Just practice, practice, practice. And I, and I say this, I didn't really learn a lot in the classroom. I learned a lot at Bowling Green through my internships, which really paved the way for my career. Was it different at Syracuse? Yeah. Did you look at internships as your real key to really getting the experience you needed coming out of college? I think so. And I think learning how to deal with people and understanding the, the group dynamic and understanding uh, what it's like on deadline and how to perform, yeah, that's, that's really a big part of my message with, with younger broadcasters. I, I try to articulate a, a few things because, look, you can overwhelm them with information and then they, they just they don't know what to do. Their head is spinning. So the combination of preparation and performance, you got to be prepared. You got to know your stuff. Grant, you lived this for so many years. It, you live it. You eat it. You mm-hmm. breathe it. It's every day. When people say, well, how, much, how long does it take you to prepare for a game? It's impossible to put a number on it because you're consuming material all the time. It's constant. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. If it's something that can help you with a broadcast, then you're all in. So the preparation part goes without saying. The performance part is sometimes where things get lost in, in the shuffle a bit. When the game starts, that is your time to shine. All the things that you learned, all the preparation, you now have to apply it. But don't, don't go overboard. Don't, don't now... Uh, knock me over the head with stats and notes and storylines. It's got to be weaved in correctly. It has to pertain to what you're talking about in the moment. If you're force-feeding information, then you're doing the the viewer or the listener a disservice. But for that two-and-a-half-hour broadcast on an NBA game or three-hour broadcast on an NFL game or three-and-a-half-hour broadcast on a baseball game or a college football game, whatever it might be, You've got to own it. You've got to have command of that broadcast for that time period. And, and that's where uh, the, the performance part does come in. Uh, the other part of the equation that, that I try to, to mention to, to young broadcasters is you, you still want to be relatable. You, you can't be a broadcast robot or a machine. There has to be some human connection that you make with your audience. And that means you've got to be conversational, but yet you've got to be authoritative in that presentation. So how do you, uh, how do you connect with the audience? If you're just in your own zone, doing your own thing, I'm no, I don't, I don't really care. I I just (laughs) know I'm locked in today. I'm just, no, you have to care because that's part of the job. If, If they're not feeling that connection, then you're not doing your job very well. So uh, I think you're right in terms of all of the things that are available to young people today. It's amazing. I mean, you could have a radio station from your computer Correct. easily. Yes. You, you could have a TV station from your computer with the cameras now that are on laptops and, and other devices. But you've also got to do it smartly. Practice. Mm-hmm doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent you you have to practice well you have to do things the right way develop and uh, you've got to be your own toughest critic you got to listen back to your stuff that's 
that's another one. I'm sure you get this a lot sure. from, from young broadcasters that tell you, yeah, I don't really like listening to my stuff. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, that's part of the deal, man. You've got to, you've got to be able to look back and watch your stuff and listen and make changes and adjustments and, and go in with a critical eye and ear to, to get better at this and to improve and to shape it and to polish it and to, to hit the, the airwaves the next time you do it better than you were the last time. That, that's the one thing also that, that people sometimes don't understand. You're judged by your last broadcast. Correct. That's what you're judged on. Not what you did two years. Oh, you had a great call in 2003. No. Nobody cares. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's irrelevant. If you blow the last one, then that's what you're judged on. I sent you a text message on January 22nd, and I told you I, I've always strived, like you do, for perfection. I announced yep. the NBA for 32 years. I've done NFL preseason, NHL. I never thought that I announced a perfect game. I've had good games just like you. I've had great games. I've looked back, and you know when you have a really good game. You just know. Of course. And conversely, you know when you didn't. I thought the game you did without Charles Davis, who had tested positive, and you worked with Trent Green, the Cincinnati-Tennessee yep. game, I thought was as close to perfect as you can be. And I've watched a lot of your work, and i followed your career. How good did you feel walking out of that booth that game? Because honestly, Ian, I thought you were perfect. I didn't think that was obtainable in this business. I thought you were perfect. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you. And, and I, I know I thanked you when you sent that because it meant a great deal to get that text message. I know that you can relate to this when you are in the zone of doing a game and locked in and just trying to do your best work. Anything from the outside world does not even penetrate your brain. And I'm someone that uh, normally is engaged with my phone during the game of getting texts and communicating with people and having fun. And I think that game, I, I put my phone away completely and just said, considering the circumstances, you know, I, I had worked with Trent on radio games years prior. So we have a relationship and he's a great guy. It was a Obviously, challenging situation with Charles getting the news that he had tested positive that week. Trent was out on a trip with his brother-in-law duck hunting in Kentucky. Wow. <laughs> when he got a call, and I don't think he picked up the phone and eventually saw who it was from, someone from CBS, and texted, hey, I'll get back to you later. And they wrote back, it's kind of urgent. So he got tossed into that situation and handled himself like a pro and then the game and and that's ultimately as we know what it comes down to the game was so compelling and when the game is at that level it's your job to basically I don't want to say get out of the way but not screw it up like just just recognize what's happening what's unfolding in front of you and the storyline that's developing beyond it and certainly Try to enhance when you can, but do not become a nuisance in that situation. Blend in with with the game itself, and and I did feel that way in that game. That uh, it, it just was uh, one of those uh, really enjoyable three hours of broadcasting with a ridiculous result when you think about it now it's funny when teams go on those kinds of runs after the fact you say oh yeah 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 Cincinnati yeah 
Joe Burrow. He just had that it factor. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of it and, and the story is being written in real time, uh, there are those moments as a broadcaster, as a fan, as a member of the media, uh, where you have to catch yourself and say, is this, is this really happening? And that, that was one of those moments for me that, that Cincinnati was coming into its own. Ian, you and I have chatted about your early days at WFAN Radio. And you know I grew up with Chris Russo, and he was just a great yep. friend. And I'm so happy that both he and Susan Waldman are going to be going into Amazing. the Radio Hall of Fame. I've had Susan on my podcast twice. And I will tell you, I've had Charles Barkley on in here. I've had Dusty Baker. I've had you, Mike Breen, Charles Davis. I've had a lot of guests. I've had more downloads from the podcast with Susan Wallman than anyone. Take me back to that era of your career. I mean, you're in a building with the legendary Don Imus. You're with Mike Francesca, Mike Francesa, Chris Russo. Susan Wallman was trying to break through a barrier coming from Boston yep. in the late 80s. What was take me back to that era of your career and being around those people? Yeah, it was such a a fortunate time for me because it it just hit at the right exact moment when this was exploding. And to say I wasn't there from day one. I wasn't there when Susan Waldman was on the air, the first voice ever heard at WFAN radio, but I was listening. I was 18 years old in New York, a New York native. And the idea that a radio station would be dedicated to only sports was astounding. So I was completely engaged in what WFAN was doing. I ended up getting an internship there in the summer of 1989 and being around it. In, in the intern role, you've got to feel your way. Uh, it's, it's low man on the totem pole. Nobody necessarily wants to hear your opinion, but occasionally you get a chance to share your opinion and you better take advantage of those moments. And, and that's how that summer went. Uh, by the end of the summer, I, I felt very comfortable there. I felt accepted there. I had broken through with, with a number of the on-air personalities, behind the scenes people. So when I got a call a year later, or less than a year, but you know, calendar year so, or so later about full-time employment, I had to consider it, even though it wasn't on the air. It was a producer role. And I thought to myself, I want to be in New York. That's where I eventually want to be. I want to be in my hometown. I want to be at WFAN Radio. Why would I take one of these on-air opportunities in Buffalo or West Virginia and not go to New York, even though it's not the role that, that I ultimately want? And that, that was my logic at the time. Mm -hmm. So they offered uh, $20,000 was their offer. I countered with 20500 <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Tough, I know. Tough negotiation. And let me tell you, Grant, I'm not exaggerating. They were hung up on the 20000 number wow. For, wow. For, a, for a couple of weeks before you know, finally they said, all right, we'll give you the, the extra 500 bucks. My father had like somehow told me, like, hey, you know, ask for 20000 <laughs> oh. It's beautiful. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So we get the number. I start there in May of 1990, and my responsibility is the hours between 7 and midnight, whatever's on the air on WFAN radio between seven and midnight. That's my responsibility, which included producing the pre and post game show for the Mets, Mets extra with Howie Rhodes. 
So if there was a talk show on the air, that's my responsibility. If the Mets were on the air, that's my responsibility. If the Knicks were on the air, my responsibility. Rangers, so on and so forth. And what I ended up learning was I basically went to grad school. Uh, I was getting in every day around four, at least that's when I was supposed to get in, but I usually get in around three uh, just to be around people, to be around Mike and the Mad Dog as they were starting to really resonate within the New York sports scene and to be around Howie Rose and to be around Susan Waldman and to be around Ed Coleman and Dave Sims and John Clossy and John Minko. And I look back on it now, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way in my career. Susan you know, stood out from the beginning as a very tough and hard worker and motivated. And you could tell that uh, this was not just a, a little passing career that she was involved in after uh, being an actor mm-hmm. for as many years and singer for as many years as she was. This was real. This was what she wanted to do. And she had very high hopes and dreams and goals and objectives. And there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to attain them. She just, she just had a way about her. Uh, she was unafraid. She would talk to anybody. She would report on anything that uh, she deemed important. And no one was going to stop her. Uh, that stood out from, from day one. Chris, you know, you know him on a level that most do not. I know him on a level that most do not because I got to know him off the air. We drove home every day for a year. He lived in the city. I lived in the city. I had a car. He knew I had a car. So (laughs) I became the driver for one year of my life. (laughs) I would drop him off on 51st in York, you know, right around that that area that he was living in at at that point, that apartment that he had. Mm -hmm. And that meant that we spent a half hour, just the two of us together every single day, every weekday for a year. And you're going to get close to somebody based on that. Sure. And that meant deep talks, not sports talk, but family talk mm-hmm. and personal philosophy, uh, you name it, we covered it. The, the part that I didn't know that you do know is everything is fair game with him. Yep. So things that I thought were in confidence, I never said, hey, off the record. Sure. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're two going. Months right. later, two months later, it would end up on the show. I was like, what the hell? And I, hey, Mikey, uh, I got to tell you, I am does not care for his wife's sister's boyfriend. Like, what the hell is that? Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Things that would actually affect your life. Or someone would say, like, hey, did you? Did you rip Rick on the other? Like, oh, no, no, no. It was okay. <laughs> oh, you know, that's classic Chris Russo right there. I got to tell you, same thing happened to me a couple times. <laughs> I would go, Chris, really? Are you kidding me or what? You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. I know. Yeah. I know. And the lines, boy, which also, by the way, made him an incredible talk show host. Yes. Because it, it just. It just didn't oh. matter. Everything was fair hey. game. There were no boundaries, and that's what well, made him great at the job. Hey, I, and I'm on the Long Island Expressway 
with my father and brother, we're listening to an interview that he and Mike have with Don King. And you know Don would never shut up. So Don no. keeps on talking, and all of a sudden, Chris goes, Don! Don! Don, shut up! Don, shut up! He's yelling at Don King. He said, shut up at the top of his lungs three different times to Don King. And I swear, I was actually driving, all right? Because my dad, I hate, speaking of my late father, the great Bert Napier, he would drive so slow, it would drive my brother and I crazy. So whenever we were in New York, we'd oak dad, we got to driving. So I was driving that day, and I swear, I was laughing. I had tears coming down my eyes. I could barely see the road. But, you know, there was only one Chris Green, so I'm so happy that he and Susan are getting this honor because they so richly deserve it. Completely, completely. Two legendary figures that uh, have done it their way. That, that's the other part that really stands out. I think when when you think about uh, this field and uh, the amount of different personalities that you'll find in every every facet of this business, they are unique. They are unique people. They are unique on air personalities. And not everyone that's unique can find the niche, but they did. They both yep. found that avenue in which people could enjoy them and and really appreciate them. That's mm. that's the other part. There, there are a lot of unique people that try this, and then after a day or two, you go, oh, I can't. I can't listen to this guy, or, or I can't watch this guy. And you know, it's just not for you. They, over time, people truly appreciated what they have brought to the table individually. Final thing for you. Uh, we're not too far from week one. Now that it's August 1st, uh, you'll be in the booth with Charles before you know it. I thought it was very yep. interesting. You know, last year going into the season, one of the real storylines were the Buffalo Bills. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you and Charles did that Pittsburgh-Buffalo game week one in Buffalo late in egg at home. And they got off to yeah, a slow did. start. And then we look at what happened in that playoff game against Kansas City. Are they the focus in the AFC right now? Do you believe when you look at everything that's on paper right now, do you put them a little bit above everyone else? Or is the AFC so darn balanced right now, it's too difficult to say? No, I put them above everybody else. I think they're that team that's that's ready to bust through. It's it's always interesting in sports, and you lived it with, with the Kings, where it looked like they were on the verge of being a a true championship contender. And if not for a couple of things going sideways, as we know, in that Lakers series, Sacramento would have played for an NBA championship against the Nets in 2002. So what happens in the next year, the next two years, when a team is right on the verge, can they find the the formula to, to bust through or is that it? Is that the ceiling? You know, the same kind of things we'll ask about this Phoenix Suns team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Can, can they get over the hump or is this it? Is this the highest that, that they will achieve? I don't look at Buffalo and say, well, that's it. That, that's just the most they can do. Uh, they, they, they put Kansas City on the brink of elimination, but, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, that's it. That's the end of the chapter. I don't see it that way. I, I think they're exceptionally talented. They've got a quarterback who has really found himself. They believe in him. He believes in what they're doing. I think their head coach has done things the right way. I think he's adjusted as the years have gone by. And there's a, a real strong sense within that locker room that they're ready to take that next step. So I believe they are 
the class of the conference. They might be the class of the league right now in, in many ways, given their, their personnel. But as we know in the NFL, you got to go do it. And there's so many other factors that, that come into play. If things don't go according to plan, how does that locker room handle it? How does that team handle it? injuries, of course, in the NFL? And even a year ago, you're right. That first game, you know, what was our what was our storyline going in? The Buffalo Bills are are the next team up. They're they're ready for this, and they absolutely laid an egg in Week One, and they used it. They used it as motivation. Mm-hmm. They used it as as something to lean on the rest of the year. Uh, I I do think uh, they're the team to beat in the NFL this year. I and I've really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much for your time, but most of all, thank you for your friendship over the years. Uh, you're a treasure, and uh, I greatly appreciate you. Well, ditto, Grant. It, it's always fun talking to you, first of all, and uh, the friendship part will, will never end. I love you, and uh, we'll do it again. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What a class act that man is. I absolutely love Iron Eagle. Tremendous broadcaster. Better person. I really hope you enjoyed that chat with the great Iron Eagle. Let's get to our Crowd Ultra questions. Go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I will answer your question on my next podcast. Jake wants to know, would you have thought Deshaun Watson would get a smaller suspension than Hopkins? Jake, nothing that goes on in the NFL makes sense to me. I don't understand it. There's no consistency, and I think it's an outrage. Tim follows up. What's your take on Watson's suspension, and how do you think the Browns season will turn out? Again, I think it's a disgrace. Uh, I think it's a real bad look for pro sports in the NFL. I think the Browns are still a non-playoff team. David asked, did you agree with DeAndre Hopkins saying the NFL PED policy needs to be revised? David, I would need to have a much better understanding of the PED policy. It's very complex. I'm not educated enough to answer that question. It's a fair question. It's a good one, but I'm really not qualified uh, to answer that. Duncan asked, what sport has the most inconsistent performers? I would say Major League Baseball. To me, baseball and the stats are rather inconsistent. Zach wants to know any good Bill Russell stories. Well, the one that stands out, I still can't believe it. We were at a luncheon that they had monthly at the Skyline Lounge at Arco Arena. And when Bill Russell was the coach, they used to have a Q&A after lunch. And somebody asked Bill what he thought of Boston. And Bill paused for a couple of seconds and then said, I'd rather be in jail in Sacramento than the mayor of Boston. I will never forget that. Could you imagine if somebody said that today, the stature of Bill Russell with social media and everything? Oh, my goodness. I'll never forget that as long as I live. 
when Bill Russell answered the question that way. Bryce wants to know, is Tyreek Hill going to make Tua look a lot better? He better. I mean, Tua's got the deck set, got a tremendous left tackle. He's got the weapons. He's got now the addition of Tyreek Hill. He better make Tua look a lot better or else Tua won't be the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins going forward. Brendan asked, what type of role do you expect Matthew Della Vadova to have with the Kings? Yeah, I'm not crazy about Della Vadova. He's a player that's been in the league, adds depth. That's pretty much it. That's how I would look at that. Derek asked, is DK Metcalf going to look different without Russell Wilson? Yeah. I mean, Russell Wilson's one of the game's best quarterbacks. I would think that Metcalf's numbers would diminish somewhat because of that. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. Maybe I'll answer your question on the podcast coming up on Friday. It's time for Grant, 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 Grant. So Watson gets eight games, and Alvin Kamara, it was announced yesterday that his court hearing has been postponed for two months, which means that in all likelihood, Kamara is going to be playing in week one and possibly for the whole season. Refresh your memory of what happened at a Las Vegas casino nightclub Back in February, 10 hours before Kamara played in the Pro Bowl, where he and his three buddies, I I would use the term allegedly because that's what you're supposed to do, but it's not even allegedly. They've got the video surveillance, and the victim was in the hospital with severe injuries thanks to Kamara and his three friends. The police Report and the surveillance video shows Kamara striking an individual numerous times. All right. He has been charged with felony assault, which carries a prison sentence of up to five years. Why is Alvin Kamara going to be on the football field coming week one? We all know what happened. The surveillance video does not lie. And I know it's innocent until proven guilty, but not when you have surveillance video. Okay, I'm sorry. And I'm not an attorney, and I understand there are loopholes, and I get all of that. But I always deal in common sense. And common sense tells me that Alvin Kamara should not be playing football until this situation is resolved in the court of law, period. All right? And if you have to pay the guy, then pay him. But don't let him play football. All right? It's a horrible look. Horrible look for the Saints and a horrible look for the NFL. But what isn't a horrible look for the NFL these days? An outrage. Kamara and his court case now being postponed for a couple of months, which would put him on the field. He's in camp. He's practicing every day. And he'll probably get the ball 30 times against the Falcons to open up the week. No way in the world Alvin Kamara should be playing in the National Football League until this situation is resolved. It was an outrage that he was even allowed to play in the Pro Bowl and was then arrested subsequently. It's a bad look. But the NFL is bad look after bad look after bad look. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. And that is my rant for today. That is my podcast for today. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. And thanks so much again for checking me out twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays on your favorite podcast platform. So long, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.